Isn't there superlative? That's what, yeah. I did, did you just say I that? I did just totally. say that. Uh, like, where'd yeah. you get that from? I just wanted to bolster you. Like, I wanted to make sure people heard your voice. Oh, what you. all? But what did you play? What did you play with the most? Oh, as a child. Yeah. Well, the memories that come most to my mind were they, that I played imagination. So I played uh-huh. everything. So I didn't play board games. Played Uno here and there. But I mostly played with Barbies and my imagination. So uh-huh. like huge storylines. Yeah. Lots of lots of storylines. Yeah. And then mm. I also played Rockstar. Oh, nice. All the time. That's cool. What about you, Joe? Uh, definitely imagination. Uh-huh. I yeah. would... I remember like throwing the football in the yard and I would throw to spots of them, but I'm like envisioning the crowd and everything around me, yeah. and, like, the whole storyline that goes before a game, after <laughs> a game. Then it, like, it was, I mean, generalist again, it was like everything. I'd like have to go play drums and like envision being on stage yes. and Legos. Right. Again. Yeah. You're the best Lego player. Yeah. Yeah. The best at everything. It's tough. <laughs> Choose your niche kid. Jeez. Yeah. You know, yeah. still okay. I'm a kid that doesn't well, know what I want to do. I'm actually, this ties into what we're talking about today. Um, but I want to do a member shout out. I'm going to do, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do three member shout outs in one. Okay. So first of all, this one's fun because this goes out to Peter who knows who he is. He is an avid listener who listens to every single episode. So you can watch what you say because he's taking notes. I I get the feedback from him. So I, I will know. But he said something um, the other day that was really, I just thought really cool and maybe freeze some people up who aren't necessarily making some career shift. And so they're like, well, I don't know. It's greenhouse. He said, I'm, what I'm trying to do right now is just kind of pause and, and get some perspective in my role because I want to level up. And I, I think what I need to do is go back through the greenhouse method and get clear again on what do I value and what are my talking points? That was his exact quote. And I thought that was so cool because I knew yeah. exactly what he meant. Um, even though it sounds kind of vague, it was kind of like going through that intentional process again mm-hmm. to think about who am I, what do I care about, mm-hmm. and that type of stuff. Um, there was another person, Travis, who um, was thinking about what he played as a kid, what we're going to talk today about. Um And one of the things that stood out to him as he was thinking about the memories is that he always every all the different stories and memories were about building something Mm -hmm. like he had one of those light bulb moments where he's like, oh, my gosh, all of my jobs till now have been maintaining something that was already built. I never got to, like, flex the building muscle. But when I look back, what I played, there was always some kind of building and creating. So Mm -hmm. similar to Peter. He's actually not going to change where he's working, but he wants to make some shifts so he can mm. build more in his role. Thought that was really cool because I resonated with that. Yeah. Joe, you are the, my third one. That's I'm putting me. you on the spot. But because I think yours was in a similar vein. So when mm. you went through the process, the whole plate as a kid, do you remember anything from that? Like yeah. what came out of that? I remember the story and all of that. The memory that came up was... So I'm the youngest of four sons. And so we had tons and tons of Legos and we would just dump them into bins. And so by the time I came along, it was just three bins, no resemblance of kits anymore, just resources, if you will. (laughs) And me and my brother were watching the Olympics and built an entire Olympic village out of all of these Legos that we had. Nice. And I mean, it was 
pretty awesome if I do say so. Like I bet it was. Yeah, we had the pool, we had like the housing, we had everything. And I remember when we were going through this exercise, realizing that what I loved was having a vision and being able to bring it to life with whatever resource pool I had, mm-hmm. where That's I didn't cool. want to just have a new kit and make that. I wanted to be able to figure out how to make it with uh, the Legos. Yeah. So you didn't had. love the ones that were pre-made kits? Mm-mm. I almost never played with those. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's cool how you at that last mm-hmm. part is the unique part for you. It's like, mm-hmm. well, a lot of yeah. people liked building with Lego, but yeah, um, but some people only was, like the kit. Right. And for you, it was really exciting to say, what can I make of this? Whatever. It, the yeah. And even one layer beyond that, we still like wanted everything color coordinated. So like the lanes were alternating red and white and the swimming pool with blue in between. And so trying to figure out like how to still have quality without coming from a kit. Yeah. Uh, and you oh. had to look at what you had and figure out how mm-hmm. to still achieve that. Like maybe we just made the pool a little mm-hmm. bit smaller, but it could still be that quality. Yeah. I-, I wonder if this is part of why I've been watching Lego masters with my daughter for a while now. It's like our thing. And so many people have, have been attracted to that show And I think it does like the Lego building has something in it that's like, it doesn't mean you have to be a Lego master for your job, Mm -mm. but there's some clues there, right? Mm -hmm. Like the types of things that interested you about it. I have a mom question. My first thought as a mom is what room did you do this in and how long did your mom let you keep it set up? Yes, that is, that's a question. We had a playroom that we did it in. And we were allowed to leave it set up as long as we were working on it. But if we couldn't transition to another toy without cleaning it up first. Uh, yeah, so if we wanted to play with anything else, it had to go up. Yeah, So it kept growing then so because it was, it was like good motivation. This is why, though, as a parent, the sets, the pre-made sets are the worst. Because mm-hmm. once you put it together, yeah, it's done. To do with it. And then what do you do? You can't take it apart. Because they feel so personal about it. <gasps> oh. If you can hear that, shout out to the welding going shout on beneath our fourth <laughs> shout out, welder guy outside. Nice work. You are in your sweet spot. Not even outside, just downstairs. Oh, <laughs> for real? Yeah. yeah, for real. Okay, so um, that transitions to our topic today, which is still in the theme this month of career sweet spot, but specifically about how do I figure out what I want to be when I grow up, even if you're an adult and you're already grown up. And the the quick answer is the clues are often rooted in what you played as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so it can be a fun exercise, even though sometimes this stuff is daunting. It's maybe one of the more fun parts of the process where you get to kind of remember back about what you played as a kid and what made it memorable or what made it so fun, what drew you to those things. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the unpacking of that is often what happens in a coaching process. But I just wanted to walk through, like, what does that look like to do that today? And we have a download where it guides you through. So anyone listening, you can download the guide. It's like a one pager that you can write on or that you can just follow the prompts. So um, the the first thing that I want to call out, because I didn't used to call this out and then realized it was a problem sometimes when people were trying to think back and they're like, when am I thinking back to? And The sweet spot is five to 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So there's some different reasons for this and research, you know, that could guide you to this place. But that five to 10, loosely speaking, is when you were, you were kind of naturally gravitating towards the things you liked, the things that you were interested in, et cetera. But you didn't yet have so many of the outside influences like jading that and, and, um, pushing you to be something else. So 
yes, you could look back to your past jobs or to young adulthood or whatnot and, and kind of pull from that. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But the, the best place, if you can, is that five to 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? I just feel like I'm thinking about my own kids during that age. It feels like at 10, the playing starts to be about what others are starting to think of you. Mm, yeah. Whereas it feels five to 10, it's a little bit like, screw it. I'm going <laughs> to play what I'm going to play. It's just yeah. very natural. Yeah. The playing less inhibited by others. Yeah. So an interesting, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, that's cool. I, I've noticed that too. Um, and so that's kind of, the place to start. And then once you, once you think back to that time, then the second part of the process is to have conversations with people and to try and like essentially interpret from the things you play. Like what, what are the themes you pull out that apply to what you do as an adult? Yeah. Because some, sometimes people are like, okay, I played Monopoly, but they can't figure out at all what that means yeah. to anything in their life. Yeah. It's like your example, Joe. Okay. Lego. So I guess you need to be a a Lego builder work, work at the at Lego, Lego factory. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And no one else plays with Legos either. Oh, so, right. Like, it's so unique. One of the dudes from the Lego master show got hired by Lego headquarters. Really? The rest didn't though. Yeah. <laughs> the rest just are just even if, even if you're on Lego masters, it's not there. Yeah. You know, I had never heard of this question asked of me before I came to greenhouse and I thought it was really cool that it was a part of the process that you created. But why, why did you create, like, why, where did this question, mm -hmm. what's the main reason you ask people this question? Well, it's, it's funny. We've said this, I think in all the episodes this month, it's, it's because people rush into I'm stuck or I want to change or whatever. And so I'm just like trying to find another version of the same stuck thing I have now. I was, seeing some stats on the whole, you know, everyone in the world's rethinking their life lately, right? We all know that. Got it. Cool. But like, why is that happening? I mean, why is that happening? Why is it so drastic? I almost got frustrated with our own, like what we do at Greenhouse. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is, it's such a big thing right now. And what the heck? Like what's going on? And um, I wanted to take a step back in this episode and talk about how did we get here? I guess. How did we get to this place where so many people are rethinking their life and their work and asking big questions instead of just the same old news reports of how many people are quitting their jobs, you know, like that stat is cool, but, but there's more behind that. So I think we get the unique seat of seeing how, people are actually rethinking their lives. They're not just quitting their jobs. It was um, a recent report of the number of people making a job shift and rethinking is double. The number has been increasing and COVID really spiked it up, but the number is pretty much double what it was a decade ago. And I think that that speaks to a big societal sh um, moment, a big shift going on that's more than just people quit their jobs because COVID was hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's, I guess what I want to talk about. So for me, I mean, I've been studying this stuff for years and years. And I think that when I was at a crossroads myself, all of a sudden it became like really important to understand what's going on. And I loosely think it fits into maybe three different 
reasons why the number is double what it was 10 years ago and like you know quadruple what it was yeah because you for the last you wrote this process this whole career suite spot process before before COVID. you know it was you were already seeing and the, the world was already questioning going through huge questions around why is it so difficult well what am i feeling inside and why is it so difficult to make a career shift well that's a great point. Like the news is talking about the impacts of COVID, but this was a major, this was a world shift happening mm-hmm. for a long time before mm-hmm. that. Yep. It just got amplified it did. by the pandemic. Yeah, it did. Why? Well, a whole bunch of reasons, but I mean, mostly because our lives were upended. Yeah. Things were shaken up. When that happens in the world, we rethink our, we evaluate Everything. We also happen to be at home and yeah. bored out of our minds. So it's like you're yeah. you're rethinking things. It, I always think, too, when life and death is something that's being discussed, mm-hmm. you rethink. Yeah. And there was a lot of discussion around that. So. Yeah. So you're right. It amplified what we already were observing in coaching people who were just stuck trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their career path. Yeah. And make it more meaningful. Yeah. Okay. Well, so what I want to do is kind of come up to the like higher view looking looking down on the situation and say what's happening systemically in the world that's making this um all this happen again i think it comes down to kind of three things so the first one is that um there is a money driven mentality to the way things work in our current mm-hmm. society yeah so um everything is kind of driven by money and profit and uh, not saying that that's bad. Uh, that's not my point here. But my point is that the, the structure of like our family system, our school system, our work system are all kind of shaped by and geared towards money making mm-hmm. motives. Mm-hmm. And what that does then is um, it, it creates something like we all are trying to move people into career paths that are the most profitable for the system. Mm-hmm. And so I, one one reason why this is so important to call out is it's like it's happening behind the scenes. It's like it's a little bit invisible and we don't notice mm-hmm. um, because we're all just part of that system. Mm-hmm. For example, like the school system and the university systems built around what's going to be most profitable for them mm-hmm. and for the individuals going through these program, you know, going through school. And so what do we all know? Well, like we're all encouraged to be like doctor, lawyer, analysts, like find this narrow path where we want everyone to be in the safe, secure, well-known linear job paths. But the reality is the vast majority of people don't aren't wired for that. Don't fit that. Mm-hmm. I almost picture it like um, herding cattle. You know, when you've seen them like herd cattle into this like very narrow lane, mm-hmm. it's we're trying to get everybody into that narrow lane. But I think it's somewhere north of, you know, 80% of people are not wired for that lane and can't do it. Like we can't have everyone being the same five different uh, occupations. I remember when I was a guest speaker, at University of Richmond for, I think, a group of seniors. It's like something called Q3. Anyways, we were assessing skills, talents, careers, something like mm-hmm. that. And I do remember specifically this one kid telling me what he was majoring in, and it completely contradicted what he wanted to do. 
Yeah. When he was doing this game with me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, it's because my parents are like, that's too risky. You won't, you, that one's too risky. You won't be able to make the money in that one. So therefore choose this one. Yeah. It's like the combination of what some of those family pressures or desires yeah, or fears too. along with like, well, you kind of have these few main big tracks in college. Like I was an yep. engineer. Well, mm-hmm. tons of people became engineers. Actually, someone messaged me on LinkedIn the other day. We went to college together and was joking. He was like, I'm a generalist now too. And we were joking like, yeah, we were both always cut out for that. <laughs> right. Who did we think we were? Like engineers. We weren't mm-hmm. like, we weren't necessarily that exact mm-hmm. stereotype. When you're saying like better for the universities, in your mind, is that solely the stats they can put out of the average graduate makes this a year, lands this many jobs in in their major, et cetera? Or is it even what you were saying there of curriculum? How do you teach someone to figure it out on their own? Yeah. Like, how do you have a bunch of classes geared towards as many different careers? Yeah. No, I think it's it's a good question because systems, the impact of broad, expansive systems in our life is rarely like some person designed it to be that way and they wanted to like hurt some people. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just the natural um, progression building of things over time. So like, was anyone ever setting out to only have like focus on a few main majors in, in college? I don't know of that, but but over time, like you're gonna gravitate towards the things that are the most common the most like want desired the most profitable you know i mean i even remember i was business undeclared for the first two years of college it was like almost the laughing stock of oh so you just don't know what you're gonna do yeah and and then i ended up doing like management hr because it just seemed like the closest to the fit that i wanted and i even felt like i knew what i wanted to do but i couldn't figure out what track in school to take sure yeah and so it was a funnel yeah, I, I know. I, like I was a musician in high school. And so there we had some conversation around, should I go down that path? And no one discouraged me from it. In fact, I think my family actually encouraged me towards mm. it. But as you're going through the whole process, it, it's kind of like it wasn't as logical as engineering. Like there just wasn't as much opportunity. It was harder to know what that'd be like. It, it's like no one was meaning like harm by pushing me into engineering, but the whole system guides you there. I even was a music minor and I remember it being so exhausting because there was no overlap in the classes. And so trying to create my own journey made my life so difficult where I was having extra classes all the time on Fridays. Yeah. I feel like Joe, you're touching on the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, (laughs) to be an engineer it's like that's a physics principle in life like the path of least resistance happens so like where does water flow where it's the easiest for it to go so it's like we do kind of just that that whole thing happens and so it is difficult if you're um if you feel like you don't fit those those few main paths then what do you then what do you do and then from the university standpoint if you're creating a system, the path of least resistance for all of your people are going to be these main funnels of doctor, lawyer, whatever else you had. Right. And it's it's even beyond the school years, it's in our workplaces, the same thing happens again. So we value the main kind of role types and we promote those people and we like focus all our energy on those. And so 
again, over time, what happens? Well, <laughs> that becomes, you know, uh, that becomes more supported and encouraged the like the main few paths. So I, I think that's usually helpful for people to hear that you're not weird, but you're actually um, part of the majority. Ironically, like the minority are the majority, which is like, how did I get here? Is this the right place for me? And, and the answer is, well, you know, you were just following where everything was pushing you towards. And now you don't need to disown your past or feel like it was wasted or regret it even, but you just need to pivot and say, now it's time to own my direction and figure out what I actually want. So I think that's, that's one of the three big reasons why. The second one is, I think, more personal that a lot of people feel like, do I have anything unique to offer? Mm -hmm. Like, again, if I'm not in one of those main pathways, then like, what do I really have to give? Mm -hmm. I felt that so many times because I was always in these generalist roles. And it's like, well, I'm a little bit good at a lot of things, but I'm not like great at one thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that can get in your head and that can mess with you in very subconscious ways of like, Feeling like, well, then I'm just a big nothing because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not like a rock star who's going to be the next big thing. And I'm not like on one of the well-known paths and I'm not like, you know, whatever name a celebrity. <laughs> it's like, so then I'm just nothing. <laughs> yeah. That fear of not being special at something. A lot of people talk to us mm-hmm. about, it is why people work with coaches sometimes because we can we can find it. I think it's again, I hate that we say this one so often, but it's again being so familiar with yourself that you can't see what it is that is unique about yourself. Yeah, it's that. And I also think it's that there's this whole demographic of people who are interested in multiple things, mm-hmm. not just laser focused on one thing. Yeah. I. It's also interesting thinking about two to branch out from the mainstream and try something different, it seems like you have to be extremely confident in your skill set and your passion and your ability. Like if I know that I want to be a musician and I'm willing to put everything in that basket and I think that I'm unique and I think that I'm gifted, that's one option. But when I, I feel like I'm slightly talented, who am I to step out from yeah. a normal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, like it feels extra weighty. You have mm-hmm. to be that much more confident that you're unique and can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have the stat on hand, but one of the other shocking stats going on is that um, the rise of the gig economy, it's like yeah. unbelievable statistics of how mm-hmm. fast this whole thing popped up and is growing. And, but I wanna, I wanna say disclaimer here, cause I think a lot of people hear gig economy and the news has made us think it's just about like Uber drivers. That's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about. The gig economy is about like people having side hustles, mm-hmm. people having, being a freelancer, people making a little money off their passion and their hobby or whatever. And so there's all kinds of flavors of gig economy, which again is like a result of systematic stress that we're all like feeling like, well, I don't have the confidence. I can't go do that as my main job. So I'll do it on the side. Mm -hmm. And now like technology has enabled us to, Mm -hmm. to make a business out of it Mm -hmm. because you can just click some buttons and and boom, you've got a business. So uh, the gig economy is like, Another symptom of this whole thing. <laughs> I think it's a great symptom of this. It's a great. I think too, yeah. too. Yeah. Because I also find that people will do it and then g- gain the confidence in it and then maybe branch out 
and do, but they're, they keep that other job too. Yeah. I just feel like way more creativity and for small bites of money mm-hmm. has shifted and seems like normally talked about and excited. Yeah. Uh, whereas before that was just, it was unheard of. Well, I was just talking yesterday to my mom who was a nurse her whole career. Mm-hmm. She's retired now and she, um, funny enough, has hobbies with like quilting and sewing. She's really good at it. So I've been pushing her for a while. She's listening to this. This is my big push, but a public push. People are going to expect you now to, I want her to do like, um, she is good at coming up with ideas for like what to sew or what to quilt. Mm. A lot of people want to do that task, but don't have an idea of what to make. And she's good with the ideas. Mm -hmm. So I was like, start a little, I don't know, a YouTube or something where you show people your idea of the week Mm -hmm. and people would love that. So she's like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That feels big. But she had this idea on the nursing side that felt safer. That was like, I, um, there's this whole trend now of people getting, um, uh, their ears pierced or like, especially get their kids ears pierced at home. Like the person comes to you Mm. because they don't want to go to the mall or the tattoo shop with their little kid to get the ears pierced. I didn't know about this. I'm like, really? (laughs) And so she was like, maybe I could be one of those people. And is working through like, would that be feasible or not? But my point is now because of where technology has come, she actually could click a few buttons and set up a business and do that. Nurse comes to pierce your kid's ear. Yeah, because in the, because when she was er- early in her nursing so career, parents. it would have been like, well, how am I going to do billing? How am I going to yeah, charge so people? Much how yeah. am I going to track stuff? How am I going to have yeah. a website? You couldn't do all that unless you had a million dollars on the mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Now it's like she could actually do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of it is it's not a new thing. It was always in people, mm-hmm. but they didn't have the opportunity to do it on the side. Yeah. And I just love how it bridges the gap of all or nothing. Like my mm-hmm. wife, for instance, she has a wedding floral company on the side that she does about one wedding a month and loves that. No desire to do that full time. She could do that mm-hmm. if she wanted to. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm but enjoys her corporate gig. And I I think that, as we mentioned a few episodes ago, it's so easy to go to one or the other extreme in this gig economy. It's like, well, there there can be something in the middle, like figure out Mm -hmm. what you enjoy and it lowers this barrier of entry, which I think is a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she is a good example because she loves both and it doesn't have to be one or the other. (laughs) It's just like a monetized hobby now that scratches creative itches for her. Yeah. Well, I mean, so... I guess to summarize that second one, it's you do have unique abilities. Everyone does. Mm -hmm. And so if you're like, well, I don't know what I have to offer. Well, it's just a matter of kind of getting outside of the labels everyone's always put on you and, and try to define yourself for who you, who you are naturally wired to be. And like, what do you love doing? What are you good at? And, and get outside of all those other labels that have kind of clouded your view and say, who am I and what do I want to do? And, you know, of course, that's like <laughs> what we do um, at Greenhouse. Okay, the third one is a little more meta, but um, I don't know. I could jam on this one all day, <laughs> so you have to limit me. It's it, it's the even bigger system of like what's happened over generate the past few generations. So you know how like historians or social anthropologists, they'll look at the trends of generations and how it impacted like where we are now to try and, I don't know, pretend like I'm one of them. There is a lot 
um, of study and analysis that kind of shows how the, the combination of like the industrial age and like the, the wars, um, shaped, shaped, uh, a whole movement of wanting to move towards, um, clarity and safety. Mm -hmm. Just think about it. Like, okay, you have, um, the industrial age was all about efficiency. So you like strip the soul out of work and you just make it about numbers and trying to get more efficient. Mm -hmm. uh, which means like people are trading then their souls for what? What do they get in return? Well, if the factory is like, I want you to be soulless and come to work, I have to give you something in return. What did that become? The salary and benefits package we know today. Mm -hmm. Like that was not a thing in history until recent recent history where it's like, okay, Sunday, I want you to come like have a job you hate and be inhuman from nine to five. In return though, I'm going to give you this, like you're taken care of. So money is set. If anything ever happens to you, like you are set for life. And that's pretty enticing. So a bunch of people went for it. And now we have the idea that like salary and benefits is how Our the world everything. works. And yep. it's always been that way. And it's yep. always been that way. And so if you're doing something different, you're new and that's mm -hmm. weird. Right. And then entrepreneurs yeah. are like, oh man, this is so crazy outside of that world. It's like, no, that's what life's always been. <laughs> like salary and benefits was actually the weird thing. Mm -hmm. So you have that. Then you layer on like, okay, these generations that had all these world wars and this crazy chaos. And what do humans do coming out of that? They seek like stability and, and, and safety. And so now we have the soul stripped out of work. The salary and benefits package is in place and we don't even talk about purpose in our work anymore. Mm -mm. Okay. So I have some friends who are like, Oh, that's so like, um, you know, that's so privileged to think about purpose in your work. Okay. Yeah. I can jam with that. But what I would also say is there's always been a sense of purpose in work until that movement that I just described happened. It, it wasn't like we find our identity in our work, but there was always a sense of like meaning in work until we, we had that strip it, stripping it out. And so, um, so what I think is happening more in the more, um, if you kind of take a step back, the more meta view is like, well, young people are just saying, what about purpose? Wasn't that supposed to be part of the whole equation? <laughs> it's not like, it, it's not like this movement to, to search for meaningful work for the first time. Mm -mm. It's like, no, we're just saying, where did that go? It got kind of stripped out. And shouldn't that be part of it is that's like my take on it. Mm -hmm. They feel guilty now. I feel like the younger generation feels guilty for feeling those feelings because so many of their mm -hmm. much older family members are like, that's not what work is. Yeah. And so, but the truth is it, it was, and the generation that's alive, <laughs> right? Yeah. Still remembers it that way. Yeah. Which is interesting. And they're, scared. they're scared that they're, they're scared. I mean, like think also about culturally, uh -huh. there are some cultures that only give their children five career choices and that's it mm -hmm. because they want so badly for them to just have that security. Cause that's the most important thing to them. Yeah. And yeah. what this younger group is saying, it's not the most important thing to me. Yeah, you're right. That generational divides even more, way more extreme in India because you literally had a system where you have to choose your one and only career path mm -hmm. when you're really young yep. and you don't have an out later. Nope. <laughs> like we think, we think our situation was pigeonholing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah. 
And it seems like there's elements of it, of observing the past generation and thinking like this, that can't be right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where the, the mm -hmm. younger generation, millennial and below, looks at, I think, older generations and sees the way the life panned out. And you're like, yeah, you had this security and you have a lot of money now, but is it all about that? Yeah. No, it's right. Yeah. It's hard to grapple with that stuff because you also appreciate how, man, a lot of those people worked so hard and did grind through, which is what gave me more opportunity. Exactly. So I don't want to diss that. Yeah. But at mm -hmm. the same time, here's the interesting part. We have a lot of people come to Greenhouse in that later boomer generation, like later boomer ages who say, I did that my whole life. And now I want to actually do something that's more like life giving and meaningful mm -hmm. in my quote unquote, like retirement years. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where the guilt that you were saying Sunday comes in too, where uh -huh. mm -hmm. do, like, can you be appreciative of, of that generation sacrificing that for you and still mm -hmm. try to explore it for yourself? Cause yeah. it kind of feels a little bit at odds, even though I don't believe it is. It's helped me seeing some of those people say that because they're essentially like, they're doing that whole thought cycle just in and of themselves. They're like, okay, I did all that. Was that wasted? I don't know. But, but also I am grateful for myself that, yeah. I, that mm -hmm. I did that. And now I want something maybe a little, mm -hmm. a little more. Gosh. Like that's a, I don't know. That's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> it, it seems like it's so helpful for people. And it was for me to realize Okay, there's been a whole trend of um of societal like circumstances that got us to here. So um the fact that the news is like, hey, twice as many people are quitting their jobs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um there's re there there's reasons for that and it's like it almost shouldn't surprise us. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's striking me about what you're saying that as a result of the generations of war, we leaned as a culture into more safety and these benefit packages and salaries is that's not, that was needed. That's what people needed to survive. And so right now, if I, in 2023 looked back on that and I'm like, well, they were wrong. They weren't living in a purpose. I don't think that's accurate. Mm. And I think, I don't know. It's just interesting if you look at history where there are cycles that are needed to go back and forth. Yeah, it's it's like I feel the same way with another one we didn't touch on, but the Great Depression, right? Like that was part of this whole movement as well. And and I think, gosh, even though I'm passionate about this topic, it humbles me because I have no idea how hard that must have been. Like I can't yeah. even relate. They had work was your purpose. Yeah. So of to, course, to, coming to be out lucky of that, enough to have a job was your purpose. Yeah. So it, yeah. suddenly it's like, well, yeah, of course. Then that generation's coming. They're, mm -hmm. they're coming out of that. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're like, just buckle down and be grateful for what mm -hmm. you have. Mm -hmm. It's like, and and I'm grateful that their hard work has got us to a point where we can ask about mm -hmm. purpose and try to build that in. Well, and I guess just like these, you know, these trends and these things can unfold. Um, societally or globally, it, it can be the same kind of thing in our personal lives where, you know, maybe there's a time where you just do need to um, be good with what you have. Mm -hmm. But there's also seasons or times where it's it's good and okay to ask more, to, mm -hmm. to look for more. And, and obviously, like probably most people listening to this are in that second group. So mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe my goal with this is just to free you up to know you're not weird mm -hmm. and that these right. questions are okay. And and that like, 
there's a reason you're feeling how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. 